Our sermon text this morning is uh, maybe not the one you would have expected, possibly, but it's Romans, uh, really one verse, Romans 4.25, technically part of one verse, but for the sake of context, we're going to read Romans 4, verses 23 to 25, and if you're able to do so, I'll ask you to stand for the reading of God's holy word this morning. Romans chapter 4, verses 23 to 25, Paul writes, But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, that is Abraham. But for ours also, it will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead, Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. The sins of reading of God's word, you may be seated. Well, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God stands forever. Let's pray and ask God to teach us his word once again. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. We ask today that you would be pleased to uh, teach us by your Holy Spirit. Work, work in us by your Spirit to give us eyes to see and ears to hear great things from your word. Build us up in our faith and convert the lost. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, every, every Easter Sunday, uh, Christians, for good reason, all around the world, we turn our attention to the resurrection of Jesus Christ and what the scriptures have to say about that uh, great fact. You, you could say without exaggeration that without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there is really no Christianity. I mean, you could, you could have the, the outward trappings of religion and call it Christianity, but with that, if, if Jesus is still in the grave, it, there's no point. As, as Rob mentioned from 1 Corinthians 15, as Paul says, your faith is in vain if Christ has not been raised. There is no such thing as real Christianity without the resurrection of Christ. Now, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 17, he says, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile or vain, and you are still in your sins. We're not saved by a sentimental Jesus. We're not saved by just the, the pleasant thoughts of Jesus' life and teachings. Uh, faith in a dead Savior is useless, uh, and a dead Savior is no Savior at all. A dead Savior saves no one. At Easter, we often spend time, and with good reason, thinking about the historical fact of the resurrection of Christ. Many deny that historical fact, and so it's not a bad thing for Christians, for us in churches, to to preach on the historical truth of the resurrection of Christ. In fact, in that same chapter, 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says that that the resurrection of Christ is one of the truths of the Christian faith that is, quote, of first importance. You know, all truth matters, but some truths are more central than others. And among those are Christ's death for our sins, his burial, and his resurrection on the first day of the week. The death and resurrection of Christ, not just his death, but his resurrection as well. Uh, both of those things are essential to the gospel. There's no gospel, there's no good news if Christ is still in the grave. We are wasting our time, those of us who got up this morning and put on our Sunday best, our Easter best, and came here. We're wasting our time. I'm wasting my breath and your time if Christ is still in the grave. But have you ever wondered, have you ever asked yourself, how does Christ's resurrection benefit you if you're a Christian, if you're a believer in Christ? What does Jesus rising from the grave do for you if you're a believer this morning? You might be surprised to know that the Bible has a lot to say about it. It has a lot more to say about it than you might think. And one of the best examples of that is found in our text in Romans 4.25 where Paul says that Christ, he doesn't just mention the resurrection, he also says that Christ was, quote, raised for our justification. 
In other words, he was raised for a purpose. He, he was raised for something to benefit us in our justification, which you, know, you, you could say without much exaggeration that that's the heart of the gospel. The justification of the wicked is the, the essential part of the gospel, that God justifies the wicked through his son by faith in him. Well, what does it mean? What does that mean that he was raised for our justification? What does the resurrection of Christ have to do with your justification if you're a believer in Christ today? And what else does the resurrection of Christ mean for you as a believer if you're a Christian today? That's what we hope to look at this morning here on this beautiful Easter Sunday. We've, now, you, you might know we've been going through the Heidelberg Catechism on Sunday nights. We've been a little hit and miss with things having to, to preempt that. But you know, going through that catechism kind of gives me uh, sort of, I sort of have Heidelberg on the brain, which that's not a bad thing to have. You can have a lot worse things on your brain than the Heidelberg Catechism. Well, that catechism, not surprisingly, has a very helpful question and answer about the resurrection, and not just about the resurrection in some general sense. It actually asks a question that many of us might not think to ask. It says in question 45, this is the section where it's going through the Apostles' Creed line by line, and in question 45, the Heidelberg says, how how does Christ's resurrection benefit us? Not just that he was raised from the dead, but how does it benefit us? How does it benefit you as a believer in Jesus Christ? What well, gives the answer here? First, three things. First, by his resurrection, he has overcome death so that he might make us partakers of that righteousness which he had purchased for us by his death. Secondly, we are also by his power raised up to a new life. And lastly, the resurrection of Christ is a sure pledge of our blessed resurrection. And you'll notice this breaks down into three different points, three points, and so we're going to use those three points as our outline of our sermon today. Uh, you could consider this a catechetical sermon of sorts. Uh, it's, a, it's still a common practice in many Reformed churches. A lot, of, a lot of times in the evening services, what you would have is a, a passage you know, going through a book in the morning, and then in the evening in many Reformed churches still to this day, they have a catechetical sermon. They go through the catechism, one Lord's Day questions uh, at a time, and we're going to use Romans 4.25 as kind of our main scripture text uh, from which we look, look at these three things from the catechism. So the first thing, what's the first benefit that we have that you have as a believer in Christ because of Christ's resurrection? Uh, it's because of Christ's resurrection that we are made, quote, partakers of that righteousness. Uh, that righteousness of Christ that he, it says, purchased for us by his death. So he died to save us from our sins, but how are we made partakers of it? Only because of his resurrection. And But according to our text in Romans 4.25, in some way, in some sense, we are justified because of Christ's resurrection. We are justified because of Christ's resurrection. Now, isn't that what Paul says here in that verse, in that one short part of verse 25, where he says Christ was what? Was raised for our justification. Charles Hodge, that great Princeton theologian, calls this one verse a comprehensive statement of the gospel. If you want a one-verse summary, a brief summary at that of the gospel, you could do a lot worse than Romans 4.25. And so, Lord willing, that's what we're going to look at here today. Now, Paul is not saying that Christ's resurrection atoned for your sin. He's not mixing up his, his categories. The, atoning, the atonement for our sin can only really rightly be said of his sufferings and death on the cross that we just celebrated this last Friday 
on Good Friday. So, so why does Paul say it this way? What does he mean when he says Christ was raised for our justification? Why does he link Christ's resurrection from the dead on the third day to you and I being justified in him? And what, is just, what does it mean to be justified? That might be a term that you've never heard before or aren't familiar with. Uh, being justified means two things primarily. It means having all of your sins forgiven. It means having all of your sins forgiven by God, and it also means the positive side of that coin, being accepted by God as righteous in his sight, only because of Christ's righteousness put to our account by faith. In other words, God justifies the wicked in Christ. Are you and I righteous? No, we're the exact, we're sinful. You could say that we're wicked. On our own, we are anything but righteous. But if you are in Christ by faith, you are justified in him. And that means you are one, you are forgiven of all of your sins. Because Christ paid the price for those sins by his death on the cross. And the other side of that coin is that God imputes or reckons or accounts Christ's perfect righteousness to you by faith. He accepts you as righteous because he accepts you in Christ. Now, in other words, what does it say? Now, Hodge himself, Hodge gives two reasons why the resurrection of Christ has something to do with our justification. First, he says the resurrection of Christ was just as necessary as uh, his death for our justification. Why? Because first, he says it was, quote, proof The resurrection was proof that his death had been accepted as an expiation, a payment for our sins. It proved the price was paid in full. If Christ had remained in the grave, we would not know. Christ would still remain under the curse, and we would never know the price had been accepted in full. Christ's resurrection was proof that Christ paid the penalty for our sins in full, and that his atonement had been accepted by God as the payment for our sins. Christ was raised for, or you could say, it could be translated, because of our justification. Hodge gives a second reason why Christ was raised for our justification, and that is, quote, in order to secure the continued application of the merits of his sacrifice. That might sound like a very technical way of putting it. What, what, What does he mean by that? Christ didn't just die to pay for our sins, although he certainly did that. His resurrection was proof that the price has been paid, but his resurrection also ensures that Christ is there at the right hand of God to apply by his Holy Spirit the salvation that he has won for us in his death. He's talking about his ascension and his intercession at the right hand of God. In other words, no resurrection would also mean no ascension. And no ascension of Christ to the right hand of God the Father Almighty would also mean no interception of Christ for you and for me. Now that's probably something that we don't think much about, we don't much appreciate as we ought to, not just the resurrection, but also Christ's ascension. We often think of Christ's death, and rightly so, but we often fail to give thought to Christ's resurrection, his ascension, and his what we call his session at the right hand of God interceding for us. But what does the scripture say about that? What does Hebrews 7.25 have to say about the importance of Christ's resurrection and ascension? Hebrews 7.25 says this, consequently, you know, because of this, consequently, he, that is Christ, is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. Why? 
since he always lives to make intercession for them. Christ's resurrection, his ascension, his intercession, his pleading for you at the right hand of God is every bit as necessary for your salvation as his death on the cross. His death on the cross was the, his past completed work for your salvation. Guess what? Jesus is still working for your salvation right now. He ever lives to intercede for us at the right hand of the Father. And what does he say there? He's Because of that, he's able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. It's because he always lives to make intercession for us. Christ's resurrection and ascension are vital to his intercession, his praying for us, which is vital to the application of the benefits he purchased for us by his death on the cross, including your, your perseverance in the faith or your preservation in the faith. Why is it that nothing can separate you from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord? Romans chapter 8. Why is that? Paul says it right in that chapter that he intercedes for us. Just like Hebrews 7.25 says. Well, why does Jesus never lose anyone whom the Father gives to him? One, because the Father gave us to him. But two, he's interceding for us at all times forever at the right hand of God. And so Christ's resurrection on that third day is just as important for your justification and mine as his atoning death on the cross is. There is no justification for sinners without the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So the first benefit that that comes to you and I through his resurrection is that we are justified in Christ. Well, what's the second the second benefit that we have because of Christ's resurrection is that quote we are also by his power raised up to a new life. The scriptures very often clearly, they, they link Christ's resurrection from the dead to you being born again unto new life in Christ. In other words, in some sense, we aren't just justified because of Christ's resurrection. We are also sanctified by Christ's resurrection because of Christ's resurrection. And that's what Paul says in another, another chapter of Romans In Romans 6, verses 1 through 4, he talks about baptism there. Romans 6, 1 through 4, Paul says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? You know, he's anticipating the argument. What's he saying? He's saying that some people hear the gospel and they say to themselves, Hey, you know, this this sounds like a great deal. Jesus died to pay for my sin. All my sin gets wiped away by his death on the cross by faith in him. So now, now I get to sin my fill. Now I get to live however I want because it's all good. It's a license to sin. Well, what does Paul say? It it can't be. He says, by no means. Why? How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that, here it is, Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. If you are in Christ by faith, you have been united to him in his death for your sins and in his resurrection from the dead. And that has an effect on you. You are now, if you are in Christ, you are dead to sin. Sin no longer is your slave master. The power of sin has been broken over you. It's still present You still struggle with sin, but you are no longer a slave to sin. And not only that, Christ's resurrection 
is the same power that made you born again and gave you new life in Christ. So you can't, you won't, and you can't just go on the way you were. And why is that? Because Christ raised from was raised from the dead. Paul spells this out in the very next verse. This is from the New American Standard Translation. I like the way they put it better. Of Romans 6.5, the very next verse, Paul says, For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. What's the likeness of his resurrection? New life. Not just the resurrection that's to come, but new life in this life for believers is because of the resurrection of Christ. Listen to what Paul prays uh, in Ephesians 1, verses 19 to 20. He prayed for some things. He wanted the believers in Ephesus to, to, to come to know and grasp certain things, and this is one of them. He says he prayed for them that they would come to know, quote, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, here it is, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. The power of God at work in you if you're a believer in Christ, you might not feel anything. I'm guessing most days you don't feel like God's doing much of anything in your life. But if you're a Christian, the same power, Paul says it right there, the same power that God exerted when he raised Christ from the dead, that immeasurable power was the same power that he works in you who believe. Present tense. That same power is at work in you who believe in Christ, the same power that God worked when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him in his right hand in the heavenly places. See how often the scriptures over and over again link the resurrection of Christ to the power of God at work in us as believers. You know, in fact, if you were to read through, it's not that long of a book, if you were to take some time maybe this afternoon and read read the book of Romans, 16 chapters long, I know it sounds a little bit long, but read through Romans sometimes, sometime when you have time or can make the time, and notice how often, you've probably read it before and it just kind of escaped your notice, notice how often in Romans, throughout Romans, Paul brings up not just Christ's death, but his resurrection. He does it all through the book. It's not a small add-on to his theology or his gospel. It was central. It was one of the main points when Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15 that it's of first importance. He shows it in the rest of his writings. He emphasizes it again and again. You could say the resurrection of Christ shows up all through the book of Romans. And what's the book of Romans? It's Paul's magnum opus on the gospel of Christ. Listen to Romans 1 verse 4. There he says that Jesus Christ was, quote, Declared to be the Son of God in power, how? According to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. The resurrection was was the Holy Spirit's way of saying, Jesus is the Son of God. He was raised by the power of God, showing he was the Son and is the Son of God. Romans 4.25, our sermon text says that Christ was, quote, raised for our justification. When Paul's dealing about our justification in Christ, one of the most important things you could ever think about and read about, what does he bring up? Not just Christ's death, Christ's resurrection. Romans 6, 4, we just read it. He tells us that if you were baptized into Christ's death and resurrection, why? So that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. When Paul talks about sanctification, what does he think of? Christ's resurrection from the dead. That same power that rolled the stone away, shocked the guards, raised Jesus bodily is the same power that's at work 
in you who believe. And finally, in Romans 8.11, Paul says that if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Think about that. Paul thinks of the entire span of your salvation from beginning to end in terms of Christ's bodily resurrection. His resurrection proves he's the Son of God. He's the only Savior of sinners. His resurrection, it's because of that that you are justified. His resurrection is the reason you are born again unto new life and sanctified in this life till he calls you home. And his resurrection is the guarantee of your future bodily resurrection in glory. Paul connects it all to Jesus' resurrection that we celebrate Easter Sunday and every Sunday. That brings us to the third thing, the third thing that the Catechism tells us The third way that Jesus Christ's resurrection benefits you as a believer in Jesus Christ is that it is, quote, a sure pledge, a guarantee, a sure pledge of our blessed resurrection. You know, our closing hymn, in a little while we're going to sing, the title tells it all. It says, Jesus lives and so shall I. That's what it's talking about. Not just in this life. His resurrection doesn't just give us, you know, life in this life. It's also the guarantee that one day you will be raised from the dead in glory. Christ's resurrection is the guarantee of your own resurrection in glory one day. Now, if you're a Christian this morning, does that not give you great comfort? I know we don't often think of the resurrection. We don't think about death. We don't think about any of those things. And yet, when we do, the resurrection of Christ should give us great comfort and joy. That that, that should give you hope for the future. You know, in this world, there's not much hope, but the resurrection gives us hope. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, 20 to 23, he says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. And he says, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep for as by man, by a man came death, that's Adam, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead, that's Christ. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all, all who are in him be made alive, but each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. If Christ has been raised from the dead, and he has, then all who are in him are also going to be raised from the dead to glory on that first day. And what does he, he calls Christ's resurrection the first fruits. Now, if you're not in any way familiar with farming or agriculture, you might not understand what that is all about, but it's the first fruits, he says, of the resurrection of all his people. Now, the, the first fruits idea, it's a farming term. It's an agricultural term. To offer the first fruits of your harvest to God is to trust God that the rest is sure to follow. You know, we put this in our bulletin sometimes about the offering, Proverbs 3, 9 to 10. It says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of your produce. What does that mean? It means you don't give him the leftovers. You give God the, the first fruits, the, the, you know, the, everything off the top. The first part that comes in, now, you know, if you're, if you're living, I want to say hand to mouth or field to mouth, the first part of the harvest is probably, that's the hardest part to give up, isn't it? That's, that's the part you want to hold for yourself and then give God the leftovers. It says, with the first fruits of your produce, then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. That's, that's the imagery being shown there. In Proverbs 3, 9 to 10, we put it backwards, don't we? We say, I want to have my, you know, barns filled with plenty and my vats bursting with wine, so I'm going to hoard it, and if there's something left at the end, I'll give it to God. It's not what the scriptures say 
at all. But that same idea Paul uses here about the resurrection of Christ. The first fruits is connected to the rest of the harvest, and it's a sign or a pledge of it. In the same way, the Lord's resurrection is the guarantee or pledge of your future resurrection in glory if you are in him. And notice, what else does Paul say at the end of that great chapter on the resurrection in 1 Corinthians 15? In verses 51 to 58, he writes this, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, that means die, it's a euphemism for death. We're not all going to die, imagine that. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed, for this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory, O death. Where is your victory, O death? Where is your sting? It's like mocking death. You think you get the last word? Guess who gets the last word? Guess who gets the last laugh? Christ and all who are in him. Death has no victory. Death has no sting. Those Christians who were killed in Sri Lanka on Easter Sunday this morning, death doesn't get the last laugh. Those who who killed them don't get the last laugh. They don't get victory over anyone who is in Christ. Paul says, he goes on, the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, here it is, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Why? Knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Why is your labor not in vain? I guess this is point four. I snuck it in on you. Why is your labor not in vain if you're a Christian? If you're laboring for the Lord, your labor can't be in vain because of his resurrection and because of your future resurrection in glory. The hope, the sure hope of the resurrection is rooted in Christ's own glorious resurrection. And it's because of that sure hope that you and I can, as Paul says there, that we can be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. The Lord's work, not our work. Knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. The resurrection of Christ means your labor for Christ is never in vain. If by faith in Christ we labor for the cause of Christ, We will not be disappointed no matter what things may look like at any point in time in our lives. So let the resurrection of Christ that we celebrate every Easter Sunday and every Sunday, let that cause you to abound in the work of the Lord. If you want your work to count, that's the only work that really counts. Abound in service and work of the Lord. And why? Because he's risen indeed. The fact that Christ is risen indeed means that we can abound in his work and know that it's not Wasted. And so our salvation in Christ, to sum up, our salvation in Christ in the past, our justification, his work of salvation in our present, in sanctification, and his work in the future, our resurrection into glory, they're all connected not just to the death of Christ on our behalf, but also to his resurrection as well. Every part of your salvation is tied in some way to Christ's resurrection on the third day. Think of all the benefits and blessings that you and I share in if you're a Christian because of Christ being raised from the dead. It calls to mind a great quote from J. Gresham Machen. Some of you know who that is. 
He wrote a book about almost 100 years ago now, a book called Christianity and Liberalism. This is one of my favorite quotes of any writer I've ever read. He says, What was it that within a few days transformed a band of mourners into the spiritual conquerors of the world? It was not the memory of Jesus' life. It was not the inspiration which came from past contact with him, but it was the message, He is risen. You know, sentimentality gets you so far. Christianity is not a sentimental religion. I'm a sentimental person. Maybe you're an emotional person, but we aren't just called to think fondly on, you know, Jesus lives because, you know, the, the, sometimes we say that uh, you know, when, when you're at a funeral sometimes uh, or at a memorial service, people will talk about so-and-so living on in their hearts, and that might be a good way to say things, but if that's all there is, there's no hope in that. We don't think of Jesus that way. We don't just say, well, I have good memories of his teachings. I have good memories of what kind of person he was. If he's still dead, it does nothing. Jesus lives. And because of that, you and I will live. It's the fact that Jesus lives that turned that band of mourners, as Machen said, into the spiritual conquerors of the world. It, It made them willing to lay down their lives for the gospel because they knew they served a risen Savior. He is risen, and what do you all say? He is risen indeed. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the glorious message of the gospel of Christ, that he died to pay for our sins, and that he was raised for our justification, that he was raised for our justification. We live, and those of us who are in Christ, we have new life because of his resurrection. We walk in newness of life because we have been united, not only in the likeness of his death, but also in the likeness of of his resurrection, and that one day, because you raised him from the dead, that we too shall rise unto new life and glory with you forever in heaven, Lord. We thank you for that. We ask that you would give us understanding into these things. We pray that you would uh, work in our hearts, we who know the Lord, that we might abound in your work, knowing that our labor is never in vain in you, Lord, because of your resurrection. We do pray this morning that if anybody does not yet Know you, if there's anyone here who is still in their sins, that you would open their eyes even today. Grant them repentance and faith that they may look to Christ and have eternal life in his name, that they too might know what it means to be justified in Christ because of his resurrection, that they might know what it means to walk in newness of life, uh, new life because of his resurrection, and they might also share in the great hope of our future resurrection in glory uh, with you. We pray all these things in the name of our risen and ascended Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.